Well, hey, welcome to the Highland Groupcast. I'm Jeremy. I'm Emily. And today we're going to talk about God. Emily, that's a big subject, yeah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so hopefully you studied hard and you're ready to I'm answer. I'm so ready. I have all the questions for you, actually. All the que- But you were supposed to be the one to answer mm, all the questions. Yes. All right, so you are in episode two of a conversation about the Highland Statement of Faith. And the first thing in that Statement of Faith is a statement on God, which is fitting because that's where the scriptures begin. And so we always want to begin where the scriptures begin, and we always want to uh, begin uh, at what is primary and fundamental uh, for our understanding of our faith, and that is first and foremost an understanding of God. And so, Emily, as you kind of studied it last night, do you feel like you fully understand God now? I I fully understand it. No, not at all. I feel like we're always just scratching the surface. But one of the things that I do love is that God, um, one of the things I feel like he's been reminding me of is that he has made himself known and knowable. And I feel like it can be intimidating to bring up, you know, some of these um, heavy topics of the Trinity or, uh, you know, different things that aren't fully understandable, um, you know, that they are some of the secret things, I guess you could say. Uh, but God has made himself known to us. You know, we can know him accurately and personally. And um, so, Jeremy, what is the primary way that God has revealed himself to us? Wow. <laughs> Turning it on you. Uh, the primary way? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, what I, are some of the primary ways? Yeah. What would you say? We'll, well say it that way. I think the biggest thing is that he's revealed himself to us at all. Mm. Uh, and so what you see in the scriptures, and, and I think in most creation accounts, what you'll see is a God who um, creates whatever they mean by that creation. So whether it was by some uh, strange accident or some big fight up in the heavens or uh, even as our scriptures would say, God um, very meticulously and intentionally creating uh, what is different about um, the Christian God, about our God, is that he, he doesn't just create, but he actually enters into relationship with his people. Uh, and so it's not just a God that can be known. It's a God that desires to be mm. known. Now, um, that doesn't mean that we can know him fully, Right. Mm. Um, but you just look at kind of the way that God reveals himself in the scriptures with all the names that he gives himself. Right. Um, you've got the God who saves. You've got Abba Father. You've got uh, Jehovah Jireh. You've got Elohim. You've got Yahweh. And so we've got um, a God of both immense power uh, and a God who is immensely personal. And so. Um, for me, I think the primary way that I kind of think about uh, and try to understand God is a God who is relational. He, he desires relationship with me, and not only does he desire relationship with me, but he has made a way that I might have that relationship. And so, um, yeah, and so really kind of this whole series is about how do we have a better relationship with God through the things that we say, through the things that we believe, and through the things that we do. So let's, uh, do you have the... I sure do. I have the statement of faith from the website. You can find this at hbcwaco.org. 
uh, and it says, we believe that there is one true holy God eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each of whom possesses equally all the attributes of deity and the characteristics of personality. In the beginning, God created the world out of nothing and all the things therein, thus manifesting the glory of his power, wisdom, and goodness. By his sovereign power, he continues to sustain his creation. By his providence, he is operating throughout history to fulfill his redemptive purposes. Wow. Yeah. All right. There's a lot in there. There is, there is a lot in there. Um, okay, so, I mean, let's, let's break this down. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Okay, so... Uh, let's, I mean, again, we've kind of touched on this, but I feel like the primary thing that we're assuming here is that God exists, right? <laughs> that right. there is a God to begin with. Right. He is. And, I mean, that's the, uh, and, and I think that as we listen to that, as we hear that, where you go, of course, hmm. um, uh, of course he is, because we're good little Christian boys and girls, right? I mean, that's the, <laughs> uh, they taught us that in Sunday school as soon as we uh, started sitting down there. And so, yeah, I think we would all acknowledge that God exists, but if God is real and if the God of the scriptures is real and he is real in the way that he has revealed himself in the scriptures, then the fact that he exists becomes incredibly important because that means that if this God exists, the God of the scriptures exists, the God of the Bible exists, then everything that he says about himself must be true. And it, if it's and if it is true, then that means that the way we live our lives has to be in light of who that God is. And so I think while all of us have an understanding of God, you see these particular moments when people meet God, right? Mm. You see it in Isaiah 6, when um, Isaiah is standing before the throne of God and his only right response, and this is a man who has known of God, but then he sees God and his response is, woe is me. Mm. I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. And so in Isaiah's vision of God, he is undone because he sees, oh, this is God, mm. this holy, righteous, perfect, just being, this uh, sovereign king of the universe is God. And I thought I knew him. I thought I had this understanding of him. But now that I see him, it is terrifying. But mm. what we know from there is that God in his grace and mercy has one of the uh, cherubs grab a coal and to purify Isaiah. We see it in Job, right? Um, when Job starts asking questions of God, um, and, and understandably so, right? Most of us are going to ask questions if we have suffered what Job has suffered. But God's responses to Job um, are, are one, it's, where were you? These things happen because I am God. Where were you when I set the foundations of the world? Where were you when I did this? Where were you when I did this? Where were you when I put a ring in Leviathan's nose and pulled him up from the deeps? Where were you? And you would think that that would make Job mad, right? But the crazy thing is, is that God responded. God responded to Job's questions. Mm. And so this God who is responds to Job, and Job's good and right response is, I thought I knew you. Mm. I, I thought I knew you. I had heard of you as with the hearing of the, the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself, and I repent 
in dust and ashes. And so our good and right response to a God who is, to a God who exists, to a God who wants to relate to us and meeting that God, our only good and right response is repentance. Mm, yes. And I think a lot of what you're speaking to, correct me if I'm wrong, is his holiness, right? His otherness, his separateness, that he is far above us and far separated from, you know, anything that we can understand. And we see his holiness in all of his attributes, right? So he is holy in his justice. He is, he is set apart from anything else. He is holy in his, um, his being, his love, his mercy, his righteousness, um, his wrath, all of these things. And so, um, you know, one of the things that I love about, you know, my walk with Christ, and I think this is true for all believers, is that the more we grow in our knowledge of God, the more, um, you know, the more we kind of, this is, I guess this is how it's, I guess, maybe supposed to be, <laughs> let's just say it that way, is that the more we, you know, continue in our walk with Christ, the more aware we, uh, we are of his holiness, right? So the more we are like Isaiah, where we become more and more aware of just how big that gap is between God's holiness and my sin, mm-hmm. right? And that can be a terrifying thing. Like I was talking to some friends yesterday about why is it so hard for us to acknowledge our own sinfulness and to grieve and to be broken over our sin. And, um, you know, I do think a lot of that is, you know, it's our pride, right? For sure. And our self-righteousness, but there's a beauty there of when we recognize just how holy this God is and how other he is from us. Um, we so begin to understand just how great his grace is to us in Christ. And, um, and we truly begin to appreciate the cross and, and what he accomplished for us and wanting a relationship with us and, and going to that extreme to demonstrate his love for us. And so um, I think understanding that holiness of God is absolutely just essential for us as believers, um, you know, as far as understanding the cross. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we, we're idolaters, right? Our hearts are idol factories. They just pump them out. But one of the things that we have a tendency to do is to kind of make God in our image, Um, and and so we want to make God like us. And I think the reality of his holiness is that he is distinctly different, but the beauty of the cross, the beauty of what Jesus came to do was to one rescue and redeem us, but then to by his spirit, make us more like himself. So I think kind of what you're speaking to is as we grow in our faith as we grow in our walk with Christ. Well, the reality is that, is that we are becoming more like him. And as we become more like him, our understanding of God is being shaped and formed and molded to be more like that of Christ. And so we are knowing God more perfectly as we grow in our walk, as we grow in our understanding of the scriptures, as we grow in our relationship with Christ, because we are being conformed into Christ's image. So it makes sense that we would um, understand God more or relate to him differently um, than we did before we were more mature. Mm. Um, But... I think, again, um, the the lack of, and, and I have this conversation all the time about guys that are just um, just kind of giving themselves over to their sin. It's like, is there no fear of the Lord in mm-hmm. you, right? So if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, that means that it's wise for us to obey his statutes. It's wise for us to walk in the ways that he has laid out for us, not because he loves us more, 
uh, when we do those things, but because it's for our good. And, and there's a there's a, a section of scripture in Hebrews that kind of talks about people who have um, who have tasted um, the realities of God and yet have walked away from it. And, 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 you know, it says, how can somebody who's done that, how can they once again be brought into the household of faith? But then there's a little line after, and I think we read it yesterday when we were mm-hmm. writing. Um, but it says, it is a terrifying thing to be found in the hands of a living wow. God. We, we have this tendency to want to tame God. Um, so to make him in our image or to think that we can somehow tame him. And I used to, I had a pastor who used to describe it um, like we'll walk up to a sleeping lion and just mm. slap him in the face, yeah. right? And that's our tendency as we kind of pursue and just give ourselves over to our sin, presuming on the mercies of God. It's like walking up to a lion mm. and just wow. slapping it in the face. And so for us, we want to understand that as we're being conformed into the image of Christ, our understanding of God changes. Mm-hmm. Now, will we ever know him fully? No, we're going to spend an eternity getting to plumb the depths of who God is, but we can know him more. We can know him more perfectly tomorrow than we know him today. Yeah, I love that. And scripture says over and over again, um, it's mentioned in Leviticus 11, 44, and then uh, Peter quotes it in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, but where God commands um, his people, he says, you shall be holy for I am holy. And he said it to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament and uh, to the church now, you know, under the new covenant. Uh, But one of the things that I love is in 1 John 3, he says, beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So I just love that hope of just the glorification that we can look forward to, that my life is hidden in Christ. And when he appears, we'll appear with him in glory, which is awesome. Um, and that doesn't mean that we're going to be like God in every aspect, right? <laughs> in every attribute, there's plenty, there are many attributes of God that he does not share with people. Um, but as far as, you know, his, uh, the holiness that he calls us to and the, the set apartness from our sin that he calls us to, he's, he's working that out, out in those who hope in him, which is awesome. Yeah. So, um, moving on, Let's I do, do have it. a question for you. So one of the things that it says here, um, you know, and this is going to be, this is a, this is, this is a bigger topic than a 15 minutes left that we have in this podcast. Uh, but one of the things that we talk about in our statement of faith is that we believe that God exists eternally in three persons, father, son, and Holy spirit, each of whom possesses equally all the attributes of deity and the characteristics um, of personality. So tell me about these three persons, Jeremy. <laughs> um, but one of the things that I think could be good, I mean, I know we, got, we only have 15 minutes, but it's just is to kind of talk through who these three distinct persons of God are, um, what are their roles towards each other, towards us, and why would you say, again, this is a lot, but why is it so important that we understand their distinctiveness, but also their unity and that they are one God? Yeah, I mean, I think... Number one, we understand them this way because God has revealed himself in this way, right? So we do believe that uh, God is Trinity, right? Uh, We know that um, God is one in essence, but three distinct persons. We know that God is one in essence because he tells us in Deuteronomy, was it Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, uh, the Lord your God, he is one. So we know that there is 
one God, but we also know that um, that God reveals himself in three distinct persons, right? Uh, and so you've got Father, you've got Son, and you've got Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son or the Spirit. The Son is not the Father or the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father or the Son. And so, um, you know, we, we think of it as this great mystery, but as you look through the Scriptures, you see the role of uh, the Father kind of being one of initiation. And mm-hmm. so uh, you look at Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. One of the other things that we see there is that uh, the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the deep. And then before God creates, he does what? What? What, what does he do? He, <laughs> oh, wait, wait, I don't know where you're God going with this. speaks, Oh, he right? speaks. Hello, yeah. Right. And so then you've got the Word. Well, mm. What do we know about the Word? That he was in the beginning, right? Yeah. So is what it says in John 1. John 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and so you see the Father there initiating, speaking, and then the Word of God. Who is accomplishing, Jesus, yes, right? Yeah. The Son, um, for our purposes here. Mm. Um, so Jesus was... <laughs> the incarnation of the Son, and so you see um, the Father initiating and then accomplishing through His Word the Son, and then um, the Spirit applying that, and then boom, there's light, Mm. right? So God said, let there be light. The Father initiates, and the Word goes out, and the Spirit applies. And so if you look at it um, all throughout the scriptures, that's kind of the way you see the work of the Trinity. And the reason we think of God uh, as Trinity primarily, number one, um, is when he's revealed himself in the scriptures that way. But two, Jesus says it directly, right? We see it in Matthew 28. Before he ascends, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded, baptizing them in the what? In the name of the Father and of the Son mm, and, the and of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, mm. uh, and, and so yeah, I mean we we it really is fundamental to our faith. The the Trinitarian um, God is fundamental to what we believe. Um, now there's a lot of different um, there's a lot of different takes on this out there. There's a lot of different like some reject Trinitarianism. Uh, outright, you've got like different types of like oneness theology, right? The uh, ap- apostolics uh, would use. You've got um, the Muslims who say that we worship three gods, that we're mm. not monotheistic, but we worship three separate gods. But the reality is, the way that God has revealed Himself in Scripture is one God, three distinct persons with three distinct roles. And, and so um, I heard uh, J.T. English, and he's a pastor at the Village Church. He would say. Um, that uh, the Father initiates uh, on our behalf, the Son accomplishes uh, on our behalf, and the Spirit applies on our behalf. And so whether it's creation or salvation, that's kind of the relationship that you see that the Father initiates, that the Son accomplishes, and that the Spirit applies. And whether that's again, creation or salvation or even your sanctification. Um, that's generally the way um, the relationship there works. That's awesome. Sorry, You're like, I'm looking at, so I've been reading this book, um, The Basics, what is it called? 
uh, oh my gosh, Christian beliefs, right? <laughs> Essential Christian beliefs. Uh, yeah. By Wayne Grudem, which is awesome. It's yeah. so good. I highly recommend it to any of our listeners. <laughs> uh, but he writes something um, in his part about the Trinity. And he says that it is extremely important that this mystery, right? The mystery of the oneness of three separate persons, right? Be true. For example, in, and he gives this, uh, if Jesus is not both fully God and a separate person from God, then he could could not have borne the complete wrath of God, died and risen from the dead. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, any belief in him is foolish. And those who claim to be Christians are, in the words of Paul, of all people most to be pitied. And so I think that even though the topic of the Trinity can be kind of intimidating for us to talk about or think about, and uh, because it's not something that we can fully understand, and um, you know, it, it is above us and as far as that goes. It is something important for us to talk about and to think about and to really, you know, understand based on the scriptures because there are really practical implications about all of these things for um, our faith, for our relationship with the Lord, our relationship with each other. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. And so for my men's group, I do a men's group each year. And one of the books that we read uh, is a book called Delighting in the Trinity by, I think it's Michael Reeves. Um, or, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, Christopher Reeves is Superman. Yeah, so I think <laughs> it's, Christopher Reeves. I think it's Michael Reeves. Um, and, and so uh, one of the one of the things that he says in the book is really understanding the Christian faith outside of uh, a Trinitarian God. It does not work. Mm. It does not work. Um, so to say that God is love and has been so from the beginning doesn't make a lot of sense if God has been solo alone from the beginning but what we know is that uh, jesus was not created but he was there from the beginning co-eternal with the father that the spirit has been there from the beginning co-eternal with the father and those things are important now um does everybody have to have a fully built out um biblically defended um theology of the trinity maybe not but understanding that um, God being triune, that uh, the three in one and one in three is fundamental to who we are as believers in Jesus is really important. And so we don't want to reject Trinitarianism because mm. in a lot of ways, when we reject Trinitarianism, we reject our faith mm. um, and we don't want to do that. And so we, we want to study these things and we want to understand them a little more. But, um, you know, again, I think the easiest that I've heard was um, JT's kind of definition of it, which was the father initiates, um, the son accomplishes and the spirit applies, Mm. which is good. I mean, I I think it's super simple and you don't run into the, the heretical analogies that everybody wants to what was your okay so here's just a question for Jeremy. Um, okay. So growing up your experience in the church, um, you know, what was kind of you know, what part, uh, what role did, like, how did the Holy Spirit come up in teaching or in, you know, like, I feel like for me with a lot of my background, um, as far as like, you know, the local church or Bible studies, it was almost like, you know, the Holy Spirit was, he, you know, he was there, but a lot of times I thought of him as more of an it, you know, where it was like, oh yeah, it does this. But I mean, I just never under, I don't think it was until I was in, you know, honestly, high school, maybe even college where I understood who he was and his role 
in me and helping me to obey and causing me to obey the Lord. And so, yeah, yeah I'm just curious. Uh, so my first experience that I can remember even hearing about the Holy Spirit, and I'm sure that I did, but uh, in third grade, I'm in Santa Ana, Texas at my mamaw's house. Mamma. Yeah, my mamma. <laughs> uh, and there was a little, uh, there was a little Pentecostal church right across the street from her house. And so uh, we were there over the course of a Sunday and my grandpa goes, hey, we're going to, we're going to go to church. Now we were not Pentecostal. We, I grew up Baptist. I've been Baptist <laughs> all my life. I'm, you know, I'm a good Southern Baptist boy. And so I'd never, you know, and, and you talk about Jesus a lot. You talk about the Father a lot. Um, but the reality is, I think in some ways, the Southern Baptist circles were kind of terrified <laughs> of the Holy Spirit. Um, and it's because of that church that was across the street from my mamaw's, right? <laughs> and so we go Just to this church. And, yeah, maybe. and I'm not kidding. I mean, there's people running around all over the place. They are falling out um, all over the place. And I am I'm terrified. I am appalled. And I'm like, what is happening? And my, and my grand grandpa, <laughs> oh, Papa was just like, he, he was just sitting and he was watching it. Um, and, and one of the things that he told me, and I remember this distinctly is this, and this is where, um, you know, the, my, my charismatic side, I, I think was kind of birthed. Um, when we were leaving, he goes, you know, Jeremy, I know you saw a lot of things in there that are that were weird. And he goes, I want you to know that some of that was fake. Some mm-hmm. of that wasn't well. real. And he goes, but some of it was, was genuine. Like the, the spirit of God, um, had, um, so indwelled, so risen up in those people that, that, that was the response. And he goes, so I, I never want you to be afraid of the spirit. I never want you to be skeptical of, uh, the spirit, but, um, but then he begins to kind of teach me about orderly worship and so uh man we just we want to we don't want to discount the spirit because Mm. the spirit is really important to our growth Mm. our maturity our sanctification our sanctification does not happen outside of the spirit of god and so you can discount the supernatural gifts all you want and that's fine but you cannot discount the role of spirit of the spirit in the life of the believer as God shaping and molding and conforming mm. you into the wow. image of his son. No, that's so good. I love that. Uh, so in the statement, um, kind of moving on, he kind of, uh, or he, the elders, <laughs> we basically on the website, it says by his sovereign power. Um, oh wait. Yeah. Towards the end by his sovereign power, he continues to sustain his creation, right? So he created the world out of nothing, but he also sustains it. And then by his providence, he is operating throughout history to fulfill his redemptive purposes. Um, and so we actually read this yesterday when we were, um, you know, working on our Ephesians study. Uh, but one of my favorite passages is when Paul is in Athens and he is, um, you know, he is Athens and he's sharing, you know, kind of the truth of the gospel with the people. And he says, um, the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And one thing that I just love about that, um, is just that you see the idea that it's, you know, we can often think, Oh, well, well, God chose a people for himself. He saved us because he needed us. Maybe he was lonely and we may not necessarily say that out loud, but I do think subconsciously, 
um, you know, we do wonder, you know, it's like, well, why, why did God create, call a people to himself? And, you know, why did he do that? And so, but what I love here is Paul was very clear that he, he doesn't need us in that sense, right? Um, he, in fact, is the one that we need. He's the one that gives us our life, our breath, our ability to do anything. Um, and it goes on and says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. And then I love this, that he does, does this so that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is not, or yet he actually is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. And so um, there's a lot <laughs> in that. But anyways, I want to ask you, um, what does it mean that God not only created the universe and everything that it contains, but he also sustains it? Yeah. Like, um, well, I mean, I think it's in, is it Hebrews? I could be wrong. You can fact check me. Um, where it's, uh, it's talking about Jesus and it says that he holds everything together by the word of his power. Uh, and, and again, I had a pastor one time who would describe this um, and, he, and he always did it beautifully, but that's on the macro and the micro level, like the planets in their orbit, he holds it together. The, um, the, the meteors and the things that are hurtling towards or away from the earth, he is by the word of his power holding those things in the sky, the birds as they're flying, the grass that grows, the, the mountain ranges. He, he holds all of it together by the word of his power, and he knows and sees all of it, and it doesn't give him a headache, but not just at the macro level, but at the micro level. Every cell in your mm. body, every, um, every um, bit of blood that's flowing through you, every um, atom, every, and he holds it, every single bit of it together, and he knows how it functions, and he sees every scenario in every situation and the way that every single one of those things would play out, and just thinking about it hmm. gives me a headache. Oh, yeah. But for him, it's simple. Like, it doesn't tire him out at all. And so the sovereignty of God, meaning that being sovereignly in control of all things, all things. He is the highest authority. He Yes. Yeah. And he holds every single bit of it together. And in his providence, he works all things together according to the counsel of his own will. And so he does everything for a purpose, right? Um, which means that there's nothing that happens that is outside the realm of his control. And I say this a lot, and sometimes people get really uh, upset and offended by it, but the reality is, it is true, is that there is nothing that has befallen you that has not first passed through the hand of God. Because what we see in the scriptures is that, and even those things that we want to attribute to the devil, what we see in Job is, is Satan walking to and fro, coming to the throne room of heaven from walking to and fro on the earth. And then God says, hmm. have you considered my servant Job? Have you seen him? And then what does the devil do? He says, well, yeah, of course he worships you. You protect him. You, and so God says, do you believe that to be true? Like, you think that's the only reason he worships me? And Satan says, yeah, that's a paraphrase. Um, and so God says, okay, okay, if you believe that to be true, then you do what you will, only um, don't touch him, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so we see even God having to give, or 
let's reverse that. Satan having to get permission from God to afflict Job. Um, now, does that mean that God takes pleasure in it, that he's some weird sadist in the sky, just kind of moving us around mm-hmm. like chess pieces or that we're weird automatons and robots? Absolutely not. But God's got a plan and a purpose for all things, and there's none of it that is outside of his control. And I think the comfort that we should garner from that is that means that there is no one that is outside of his ability to save. So if you're out there and you have a loved one who doesn't mm-hmm. know Jesus or you have a coworker who you think is just the most hardened pagan on the face of the planet, the reality is because of God and who he is, he has the ability to save anybody at any time, right? Mm, yeah, um, I so love that. So comfort. And I do, um, you know, for us, you know, and I think this is more the micro level and we'll wrap up here now, but, um, you know, when, you know, where he, he talks about that he, you know, determines allotted periods and the boundaring of the boundaries of their dwelling place and that it's for a purpose. And, you know, it's definitely on a, micro, a macro level, right? But also specifically, like we, you know, the people of Highland are placed in Waco in 2020 for a specific reason that we would seek God and perhaps feel our way toward him and find him and that the people around us that we're called to minister to, to share the gospel with, to reach, were placed in Waco here in 2020 for that particular reason that we would seek him and know him. Um, And that's for his glory and for our good, which is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. He is not far from any of us and our triune God desires to be known and those who seek him, they find him. Mm-hmm. So much more we could say. We could spend weeks and weeks just on the doctrine of God, but we don't have time for that. So, Emily, good job today. Well done, sir. Uh, I'm, in, I'm impressed fun. by your ability to study. <laughs> You're better. You're better than I am for sure. Uh, well, hey, I'm Jeremy. I'm Emily. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Highland Groupcast. Groupcast is a production of Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. For more information about Highland, visit us online at hbcwaco.org.